0: Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Pagans Tonight Radio Network, the voice of the pagan world. Pagans Tonight is sponsored by Witchschool.com, your anyone, anytime, anywhere magical education. And good day. This is Sir Ed Correll, First Elder of the Correllian Tradition with Elder Talks. And this is uh, my part of a three-part piece that we've done. Last month we did With Lady Stephanie and Lord Don, we would discuss about our secrets, secrets in the community. And um, I have a question from last week I'll answer uh, before we get started. But this week, they asked, the question is about fear. And how do we teach about fear? This is actually a very, very personal question to me. um, In the sense of that I have had to deal with a lot of fear in my life. Fear is a big motivator. And I'll, I'll analyze fear a little bit. And we'll discuss a little bit about how fear really is the single powerful motivational and damaging and all of that, where fear comes from and why it is such part of the human existence. So people, when they say people say, Oh, I want to overcome fear. I really believe that you have to learn how to understand fear, express fear and figure out how to live with it. Um, And I'm going to share a few techniques that I did with that. So let me start out from uh, something from last, last episode. They were saying, Well, when is it good, and when is it the right place to hold and keep secrets? If there are no secrets, what it is. There is one place of secrets that is extremely important. The secret you can keep to yourself that you never tell anybody is the most powerful secret, and it's usually for two reasons. One, you have information that you don't want anyone to know about because it makes you look like a bad person, and you keep that buried. Or two, and this one's the more powerful of them, is that you keep a secret for somebody else so that they can have a better life so you don't damage them. And that one's a hard to express because sometimes those bite you in the butt later. But, but the intention is good. But the single most one about a clergy. Now, there is one secret set that has to be kept. So we're going to start with talking about that really quick. And that secret is, is that the confessional, a priest that has given information, a priest or a priestess, a clergy member who's given information confidentially, personally, and with a belief that it would never, ever be repeated to anyone else, is an extremely important, it's an amazingly important and it's amazingly incredibly important secret that's to keep. And the reason is is that it's about trust. It is absolutely about trust. <clears throat> and you have to keep people's trust or you're going to fail to maintain any sort of uh, relationship that requires that level of confidentiality. And so that, my friends, is the secrets that must be kept. The number one one to be a good clergy member, to be a good, good priestess, to be a good priest, to be a good friend even, is the secret that you keep because you've been told and asked to do so. So that person can be extremely vulnerable to you, so you can extremely help them. So, and that is a really important part to start with our conversation about fear, because why don't they tell people about what's bothering them? Is because they're generally afraid. And uh, they are afraid of basically uh, being revealed for something that they don't know about. So let's back up. What is fear? Well, really, fear is a reactive emotion that's created in the brain by something called the amygdala. And the amygdala kind of sends out these signals of various different uh, actions that can cause a fight or flight, an adrenaline type of rush. And the idea of it is is that we live in a very, very, very dangerous world. We are in a Gaia world where there is an eat or be eaten rule. There's a constant transference of DNA, and some of that DNA gets transferred orally by being consumed. And the chemicals and the biologicals break down to feed other animals or plants or other life forms. Occasionally, if you get lucky, your bones get left behind, and other things get left behind long enough to be turned into a fossil so that <clears throat> scientists can then prey upon your body by digging you up and looking at you. DNA. Isn't it interesting? The native, uh, guy has a hard drive, right? I always tell people fossils are our hard drives. Mm-hmm. The Arctic areas where we got. So in a lot of ways, I do think guy, I was preparing for a our, for our sentience like us. Um, the golden path and all that. But let me go ahead and get back to So we have this, this very focused, and we share it with other animals, it's in the reptilian brain, it's very early in, our, in, the, in the existence of Gaia, to be able to teach each of its individual life forms how to be afraid. And what I mean by afraid, meaning reacting to things that threaten their lives. Virtually all form of life does not passively allow itself to be consumed not even plants. There's a lot of reactions it has to try to protect itself. And they develop and evolve things to protect themselves because everything wants to fight for its life. There's only things that are very tired or have worn themselves out that are ready to die. And then we've seen that too. So they can get they're comfortable with it. But for the biggest part, as long as you have vitality, there's a battle to stay alive. Be it bird, be it mammal, be it Bees and bugs, everything wants to have a certain amount of survival. And life fights for itself. It it tries to fight for itself. So anything that threatens that very purpose of life, that very moment of keeping you alive, makes you afraid, sends a fear signal to you so that you will now react either into a fight or flight mode to preserve the life. And if you're part of a more macro – Life form, such as a beehive or a tribe, if I can't personally stay alive, that I can keep my tribe, my hive, my collective alive longer. Ferocity is born of those moments. And so that fear, that fear of loss of life, drives it all. Every bit of fear comes from the idea of losing your life. And it is somehow amplified if you have kinships through blood, biology, and and sometimes artificially, sometimes synthetically, sometimes naturally, sometimes organically, but primarily through relationship of family. It gets amplified even more because you get not only afraid for yourself, you get afraid for those that are like us, the family, the clan, those we identify with. And so we live in this world of constant worry of being having our life lost, and, and it, it grows from there. I mean, of course, then you have from there everything else, every other fear emerges to the, from that one, the fear and that fear of your loss of your life and the lives of others. Starts it, and we are hardwired to protect that. That's it. You naturally have fear because you want to live. So how do we eradicate fear? Well, you don't eradicate fear because you don't want to because it is such a central part of the emotional makeup that keeps you alive. I am so glad I've been afraid of sometimes because it has made me right decisions. What you learn, and this is where I think being a witch deals with it, you learn how to manage your fear, how to understand it Like every other emotion, emotional control, emotional mastery begins with understanding your fear. So one of the biggest things about fear is that it makes your heart race and you breathe faster. So as soon as you know that you're afraid, and you can tell it, it also sends out signals to others. Now, some creatures send out pheromones. Some send out scents. Some send out warnings. Some just are gears in the headlights. They get caught and they can't do anything. That reactive moment when you start feeling those bodily actions that support the fear emotion develop, then you can go ahead and go after it. And then you have to do is like breathe. And I'm a big box breather, meaning one, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, out, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four. So I'm I'm a box breather in, in that sort of thing. It helps me. And then sometimes I have really need things, the three sharp, fast ones to so really calm me down fast. <laughs> Hold out. Deep breath in. A good morning, good afternoon, good evening. That's kind of my—that's one of my rituals to get my anxiousness right before I go on the air. Because I have this anxious moment right before it, that little fear. What is it going to happen? Is it, is it going to go on right? Is everything going to happen? Is the button going to be pushed? And, and these are, I would call, my niggling fears. These are like, I don't want to be embarrassed. And I learned a long time ago, as you know um Ed-isms is a drinking game amongst uh my radio shows and things like that ancient uh been part of my career so i've learned to overcome it because of the fact it's going to happen I, I know that i'm going to have bad shows i'm going to have good shows i'm going to have great shows i'm going to give good information i'm going to do the best job i can but every time i go on the air i want to give you the best possible show i can give you i want to give you the best amount of information i can give you i want to give you value i want you to i want to use Use your investment in time to make it feel better. And so that counters my fear of emotion. It says, well, what if I don't do that? Well, then they won't listen to you. I mean there's consequences if I don't do well. People won't listen to me. People don't care. People don't do it. And they're like, well, no one likes me. Well, that's a whole different emotional set. We're dealing with fear today. That fear of being disliked is the fear of losing life. Everything relates back to that idea. You, if people don't like you, they're not going to help you. So you have this idea that you want people to like you so they'll help you. And the more help you get, the more likely you're going to survive. The more love you get, the more likely you're going to survive and the less reasons to feel afraid. Every human being, every living thing moves towards pleasure and away from pain. Pain represents a moment which triggers fear because you're being hurt. Year, drives us away from being hurt. Now I have been afraid to walk down certain dark alleys that didn't feel right and I've heard and and I know for a fact that, that I've had people actually get mugged in that street or there was a gang fight in that street. Um I've gone out of my way as, on certain moments. I've gotten afraid where I stood up to someone fast enough so they didn't pull a gun on me. Remember, I've had a gun taste at me. just last July I had a gun put on me. I've had a gun point on me more times than most people realize and more than is casually accepted sometimes. And in that moment, it is how you react. It is very, very important. So mastering your fear is one of the things we teach because it's important. And the first thing I always tell them is you've got to grab the fear in the moment because that's the most dangerous single moment. Especially if you're not afraid often. I mean, really seriously, if you don't get fright, frightened very often, then you don't. You know, you then when you get that piece of fear, you really react because your body's like, oh wow, this is old adrenaline, and every fear I've had that I've swallowed, it gets put out there at the same moment, and that can create tremendous hysteria. It's one of the reasons why we love horror movies. It's one of the reasons why we love to be scared sometimes. Not everybody. Some people. A lot of people. Because then you get that adrenaline going, and it gets cleared out of the system, and you get fresh adrenaline. And uh, trust me, this is not scientific. This is old witch lore, but the old adrenaline some of you know he's not been angry for a very long time. Don't get him angry. Old adrenaline is the most vicious adrenaline in the world. It just – I've had it. And it just – it's um, – I get regularly upset. I do things that actually frighten me enough to clear it out because it's tremendously powerful and tremendously bad for reacting because you can't get a hold of it. So you learn to get a hold of it. I do box breathing. I do uh, quick jabs. And then the next thing I go is that I love uh, – fear is the little mind killer out of Dune. Uh, you know the Ben Gesser phrase. Look it up. I'm not gonna. Uh, I, I can't. You know, I don't. Know, I, I, I'm not gonna quote it here. Um, but in, and I'm going move to the next phase of this. You just have to know that it's amazingly powerful to understand that fear stops you in the track, in which you let it pass through you. To paraphrase it, pass through you because my. Memorization today. This that is that uh, today has, has failed me, um, and I didn't have it written down. Uh, but it, it is the idea that mind is a fear killer. You let it pass through you, and when you turn around, you shall see it is gone. It, it just passes through you. You let it pass through you, you've got good things. Because as witches, we want to check out the unknown. We want to test the ideas of the world. We want to test them all, so you have that sort of thing. Now, understand. People want to market. So the last thing you have to understand, to be able to induce fear, which is a great power of a witch, because they can get into your psychology to induce fear. One of the ancient powers of witches is to induce fear of others because you understand their psychology enough to know that these triggers exist. Today, marketers use the same. Fear marketing is that. And I'm going to give you a really quick example of something that has gone from good to evil in my lifetime. When I was a kid, clowns were, were the shit. They were great. Amazing. Ronald McDonald had a whole posse. We had cartoons with clowns in them, every you know. And then for for decades we had uh, you know Howdy Doody. We had Clarabelle. We had, of course, the world's most famous clown, Bozo, right here at Chicago at a WGN Radio for me. And we had clowns, clowns, clowns everywhere. And then all of a sudden, we discovered people are starting to be afraid. Cool rophobia. My handle. Look it up if you ever want to see a creepy clown. Cool Um Magic TV, and uh, yeah, my name is Cool Rosa Clown because i I joined this kind of movement. And what you find next would be two things would happen. One, you would find a serial killer who used clown imagery, and also killer uh, clowns in outer space. And within a few years, you start to see the rise of clowrophobia. One in seven people are now considered afraid of clowns. If you walk around in a clown suit during Halloween, it's considered tragic. It, all of these things, the idea of the negative clown. You don't see the nostalgia for Bozo the way you see the nostalgia for, say, Mickey Mouse or some of the other really iconic figures, Yogi Bear. Um, Bozo was as big a star as any of those. How about Howdy Doody? Big stars. You don't see any nostalgia for them. Not really. Instead, what you find out is that we just came out with It, part two, which is Pennywise, the clown, which is his favorite thing. Um, This ancient cruel being that feeds on human bodies. Um, John Wayne's case, the killer clowns, the Joker. So you see the clowns did this, and what we discovered is that our pleasure centers of enjoying and laughing could be overridden with the same images, and they were distorted, and they were then marketed to our fears. And our fears are addictive. Fears are addictive. Once you get addicted to a fear, you will always feel that way, and it gives you the same sort of adrenaline rush that when the byproducts of it is and you survive it, you feel really good. You're afraid of heights. You avoid going up super heights. You get really energized. Even try to do some of the heights and you fail. There are chemicals that will make you oh good, you did the right thing. Homeostasis, you did the right thing. It was enjoyable you tried, but man, I'm so glad you didn't do that. And that's reinforced over and over again. So for me, the greatest moments of my life, the greatest fear of my life that ever got past. And this is a true story as much as anything, and it's about how confronting fear. I had a crippling fear of heights until 2009 from the time I was born, 1963. I don't remember where I picked it up. Um, But I have a crippling, I had, had a crippling fear of heights. I mean there are times when I was on glass things I would be on hands and knees. I mean it was truly crippling. I was truly addicted to fear. Everybody knew it. Some people make fun of me. I went into a hotel once and I had like these very thin, narrow things to get to the things, and I had almost crawl on the ground underneath the railings. I was afraid of bridges. I mean, this was like pathological. This is like it could send me into hysterics to go over it. And it was that I was really afraid of it. And then finally, 2009, we're in uh, Australia for the Parliament of World Religions, Melbourne, uh, Australia. And we're at the main center, and it is a glass building. I mean, really, a beauty of glass and steel. And they mostly move by escalators. In Australia, they don't use elevators to the same degree we do. This was a lot of escalators in the building. There were some docking elevators deeper inside the building. There was in a sort of more metal and sealed corridor to go between like the four stories. So they had basically service elevators, you know, so they could serve it. And that makes sense. But the people didn't transport that. Instead, they had this beautiful wide view and they could ride the escalators up. And the escalators were fast. They were good, solid escalators. So if you really want to take the elevator, it wasn't that You know, they had to go into the building and go up and then come back out, which I had lots of places. But most people never thought anything. And the escalator walls were glass, and the hand railings were glass, 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 glass. And I saw them the first day. Discovered where the elevators were. I knew where they were, so I kind of went to my first uh, orientation. And then I got a chance to talk to some of my friends. And I exactly remember who it was. It was River Higginbotham. Uh, The great river, and uh, he was going up, and he said, "Oh yeah, my next class is on the third floor." Oh okay, well let me go with you. And my fear, and I saw that escalator, I saw the glass, and I just basically kind of closed my eyes and I stepped next to the river, And, um, and then I had to get on the escalator again, and again, and again, because I had a greater fear of being embarrassed in front of these world leaders, these great people.  … to know that I was afraid of heights, but to be afraid of heights. By the end of the week, my fear of heights is is gone, and I've been able to do things ever since then that I never believed I was able to do. So that parliament forced me not to be afraid of heights anymore. Respectful, and I'm not saying I don't have residuals. I'm not saying that. Everybody does. But the idea of it sending me into hysterics when it was a perfectly safe area is… They don't have the illusion of danger is important. And That's what the problem is. Fear will drive you into illusions of how dangerous things are instead of just saying, oh, that's really dangerous. And that's why you have to learn to grasp your fear early because then you go, is that really dangerous? Then you can assess it. You can check it out. You can figure it out. You can and, and do anything else that you find necessary um, to reach it, to develop it. To act on it and that's kind of really important i mean that is a very very important aspect of it and so when dealing with fear realize most fear today is an illusion because we're so easy to find those illusions because our mind's looking for them it's still looking through the Serengeti looking for that lion to devour you we're still looking in the tree that once destroyed for generations upon generations in the fossil records of young living human beings where the eagle would fly out of the sky and grab you by the back of the skull and tear you off. <clears throat> and you as a parent are now traumatized because your child or even a young adult because we were small back then got devoured by an eagle and that got put into our things. And you go, what do you mean those put into things? We're now discovering that Fear and trauma have such a powerful action into the body that it will alter the DNA in the ovum given of the beings that are created by us. Yes, your children will carry your trauma up until the time, you know, we're not sure exactly where it ends, but young trauma, trauma that has to deal with survival. Remember what we said, it was always about protection and loss of life, so Trauma they somehow gets absorbed by fertile mothers, and it looks like fertile fathers, will alter their DNA so that you carry trauma in your family for generations and possibly forever. We don't know how long that trauma keeps carrying generations, but we have now detected <clears throat> what we believe is our uh, traumas created inside the genetics there are traumas that have happened, that have altered how the DNA works in individuals to give them a different emotional set. Very new industry, but it is very true. So we have always said that as pagans. We say that. We tell people that, that's the truth. We've always said our ancestors make us. And now they're finding out way more than we ever believed. We carry their memories genetically in our DNA, and that maybe we carry a lot more than we can. And so that's one of the reasons why healing trauma is healing generations. When we go to heal heal trauma, we're not just healing trauma. We're, you know, for ourselves, sometimes we have to heal, heal it for our children and our grandparents and our parents at the same time, and, and to those children and to create a, a generation or two or three or four in which that, Trauma is dealt with over and over again until it's eliminated, and the family can get into their higher selves. So we see not only is it possible to, to to use these clear it for yourself to make your higher self connect. It's very important to clear these traumas so that descendants can have clearer trauma, so they can make it their own traumas, so they can be afraid of new things. Because you're going to be afraid. I mean, if you can actually handle your fear, the adrenaline, the chemicals, then you can build a very powerful thing. Because it drives you. It has a lot of beneficial energies once you get past the initial dangerous fight or flight. Athletes use the same things. They get really like anxious like, arr, 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 and they get fearful. I wanted to win this, and they bring that competitive edge that is normally fight, 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 and they bring it to sport, Be it boxing basketball and they just use it all out positive use of that same chemical set caused by fear that really causes other secondary reactions jumping out of airplanes and mastering that same thing giving a speech that you didn't believe you can do same thing casting a magic spell that you have never thought you was possible and actually casting it effectively same thing mastering our fear, meaning saying that it won't be bothersome, then you just get past it. So the definition of courage is not that you're not afraid. is that you don't let your fear stop you, period. It doesn't mean you're not afraid. Courageous people are per- afraid. It's, oh, you're so brave. And, oh, I was scared to death. But you seem so brave. Oh, yeah, I had to be. I mean, what choice did I have? I could only be one thing at that moment. Right? Were you afraid? Yes. So what is bravery? Bravery is, is the moment that you decide you have no choice but to be brave. You talk about people who are called brave a lot of times, and I've done that, I've been called brave, and, and I hindsight, I'm brave, but never what I'm actually doing. It's never, it's, you know, "Oh, that's a brave thing to do. No, I had no choice. If I didn't do that, I would have probably died, or I couldn't have any real choice, or it was the right thing to do. Not succumbing to your fear, not being the victim to your fear, understanding it and working it. And there's a lot of different ways to work it. And I won't tell you I have all the answers because nobody does. I can tell you what works for me, and I'm going to tell you professional. I'm not a professional therapist, and I only pretend to be one on radio. Um, I have my friend Alan Solomon in Chicago, which is very good. I've got you know, we'll have more of that type of thing. But this is Elder Talk. And um, there's other psychologists out there, so can help you with more in-depth stuff. But for me, the first thing I do is box breathing when I get in there. Just learn how to breathe. Find a a breathing and everything else that you can find that makes you relax. The second thing I do is when I get anxious for the moment, I really have to get on. I take uh, three sharp breaths, (laughs) uh, and then I take a deep one because it gets oxygen in my system. The more oxygen you have in your system, the more you control fear. That's an actual truth. I've been—I was taught to that by a very important uh, uh, Buddhist monk. You know that—that that the more oxygen you have in your brain, you can hyperventilate, but um, it'll cause a different reaction. But you, the more oxygen you have that you can use, the more you can control your emotions. You can control that fear because your body has your resources in the form of oxygen, and then with that start to really deal with it. So getting oxygen into you is a really crucial part of that anxiousness and some of that energy Two, learn to to say in that little quick braving cycle, judge what is the most dangerous things around you. And are you really in danger? And if you are, you need to react, not afraid, not anything else. And that's where martial arts training, come in military training, uh, all sorts of different types of trainings. It says, can you react? Oh, oh, I'm on safe. I need to start speaking. But me after my three best is for realization, I'm about to speak. These people are expecting me to speak. And then I, then I could go, okay, just starts open your mouth and talk. That was a little guy in my head called Yeller. Yo, okay, I'm yelling now, and it allows me to go ahead and um, start to talk. And then once you start talking, then the fear t- subsides and everything else. And then you, you know, you, you, and then you, and you get into natural rhythm. So, so facing it and everything else. And the third thing is, is that you know. So so you've now assessed your damage. You know what's expected of you. You deal with it. You've now controlled the breathing. Now you're still in the fear, and now the events are beginning to happen. Either then the events were not as dangerous as you were saying, or now you know they're dangerous, and now you know everybody else around you is also afraid. Now you're going to need to be the one who basically stands up. And being a witch means a person who stands up when everybody's afraid and says, I'm afraid too, but this is how we start to act. The faster you can do that, the more likely your unit survives. So, literally, the people who can overcome fear became our chiefs. People who overcome their fears quickly became our leaders because they were able the first to react. So, the ability of to absorb and to kind of negotiate and kind of create your ability to deal with your fear as quickly as possible. And there's a lot of techniques out there and a lot of different things. Out there, um, we teach a lot of them. We'll teach them more of them in which school. I think emotional training is going to become part of our, our programs in the future. It's definitely become part of mine, my future, so that you can do that. So then fear, don't think of it's not real. It's real. It has value and it's important, but it doesn't need to overcome you. Learn to use your fear, to ride your fear, to let it run through you, to give it to the gods, to, to, to manage it you do whatever is necessary. Don't say it's not existent. It exists. It's actually hardwired into you. Once you realize that, you can realize how much of a superpower it is, because it can also make you very sensitive, and it actually drives other emotions. At some point, I will offer a teaching about the complexity of emotions, and because um, I've, I've done, because I think that that's a very important part. And understand fear, fear, fear drives so much of that. And so remember when they're marketing you, are they making you afraid? When you are feeling afraid, figure out why. And you will survive and thrive so much better. So that's my blessings. That is my teaching on fear, my basic ideology. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, If you have any questions, you can just email me or you can just uh, find me and ask. And blessings and enjoy the day.